want to share something this morning, um, and it, 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 it might sit very um, hard on the religious ear. I just want to give that warning up front. But I want you to hang in there because nothing that I'm going to share with you is out of context. There's no scripture that I'm going to share that, is, that isn't carried through scripture with a strong theme. But it's going to be difficult for some of us to hear. Uh, not because it's in error, but because of where we find ourselves. Um, so I want you to have, to have uh, can, can I call it patience, endurance. If you'll just allow the, the Holy Spirit to come and maybe preach it over again on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. And so strengthen us in, 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 um, in grasping and taking hold of that word. So I want to pray. Father, I want to pray that you will come by your, by your spirit and help us to see the richness and the fullness of your word for us in Jesus' name. I want to ask, Lord, that we don't just hear it this morning, but that we become doers of your word and that we walk in the truth of it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I remember it like yesterday when I got saved. I don't know if you do the same. If you just think back to that moment, I was 21 uh, in Kimberley, newly married. Um, I think there was a little baby already then, if I'm not mistaken. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I was living a wild life, but for me that was normal. I'd gone through boarding school, through army, and we did the things that those people do. I mean, those of you who'd, who'd gone that path, I think, would be the same. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't a wild guy, but I was definitely not one of the goody-two-shoes, I promise you. I was, I was like, I suppose, an average 16, 17, 18-year-old at that time. And the Lord, the Lord confronted my life through a miracle that I saw. I was, I was brought up in a very religious home. Uh, my parents had really loved the Lord, um, but I'd never encountered Jesus, and they'd never said to me, Dave, if you ever want to, if you ever want to go to heaven one day, maybe just make it that. If you don't ever want to go to heaven one day, uh, you have to give your life to Jesus. No one ever told me that as a youngster. I was brought up in a religious school where we did the hymns and did the things, and we never really, no one challenged us to commit our lives to Christ. In other words, it might have happened, but I didn't hear it. You know what I'm saying? It's it might, have, it might have been going on there somewhere, but I was in, in, not in a, good, in a good place at that time, so maybe I just didn't hear it. And when I got saved in Kimberley, I'll never forget that occasion. I was working on the mines underground, I think the roughest environment in this world, in this country. One of the roughest environments. Maybe a rig is a little bit rougher. But one of the roughest environments, and in that environment, the Lord saved my soul. I will never forget the immediate response that happened from within when I even just walked into the mine. I'll never forget the, the unnatural, the supernatural love that God gave me for people that were so different to me, covered in grease, offensive, picking on me, and yet I just had a love for them. You know, it was just, it was an uncanny experience for me. And with that came a freedom that I'd never thought possible before. All of that stuff that happened at boarding school, all of the stuff, all of the, 
the life that I had led in rebellion to God was lifted off me and I felt as if I was walking on air. You might have had the same experience. That freedom that Jesus gave, that just walking into a future with him where I knew that at the moment that nothing else mattered. It, doesn't ma it really didn't matter. And then we came, in 1994, we had, we had a change of government in this country and they declared Freedom Day April the 27th. And it's a pale. I mean, it doesn't even, it's not the vaguest semblance of my spiritual freedom. In fact, what's happened is just there's been so much bondage coming out of it as well. Is that when man declares freedom, it actually pronounces bondage in other areas again and, and turmoil. But when Jesus comes, he sets us free and free indeed. He sets us free to love the unlovable, which a freedom day can't do because it deals with the mind, it deals with politics, it deals with relationships. And it says you will relate in such a way and such a way, even if your heart is not following you. And so that freedom for me is non-negotiable. That freedom for me is what I pursue. Just having that freedom, freedom of conscience, free, free of guilt, free to be able to stand up in the morning and, and go and meet with Jesus and just love him. Don't, not feeling his condemnation, but feeling his exhortation to experience that freedom more and more. Sadly, religion came along later and put, it, put some heaviness upon me. So I went into the ministry and I had to jump through all the hoops. And when I knew it, when I looked again, there was a lot of stuff that I was doing that wasn't bringing freedom in my life, but it was doing, bringing a religious ritual that I was servicing, that I was, I was on the treadmill, but it wasn't bringing the freedom that I experienced previously. I read the scripture that I just want to share with you this morning. That I, when I, I, I couldn't get past the scripture this weekend. Yesterday, I spent just about the whole day just meditating on this, on this one scripture, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. All of us, no exception, not got to do with qualifications, not got to do with how we see ourselves and people, other people classify us. All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. There's something that caught my attention in this verse right up front. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. Normally in Scripture, when it speaks about the Holy Spirit, capital S, it says, now the Lord is Spirit, not the Spirit. So it knows Paul knows very well here that there's spirits in opposition to the Spirit of God that brings bondage and not freedom. And so that's why we, that the is in there, which it isn't normally in there. The Spirit, he's saying the Spirit is the Spirit that brings freedom. The, the other ones, the ones with the small s, the ones that aren't mentioned, are the ones that bring us into captivity and bondage and will lead us down the path of captivity and bondage. 
And so when we look a little bit deeper into the scripture, we find that he's used a language over here, which you often find in scripture, and Jesus used it quite often too, which borrowed from the, the marriage to explain something to us, which is done exactly here as well. He says, now with the spirit of the Lord is free, all of us with unveiled faces. Now this is a veil that a bride would wear. I'm hopefully not this one because this is just to stop the flies from sitting on your food. But... But this is, this is a kind of a veil, which you would put over your, <laughs> over your head. Now, when I, when I look from this, I can, I can see you, but I can't see you. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can, I can, I can, I can see. Now, normally this would be worn by the bride. As she comes into the church, and that's, this is the analogy that Paul is using here, it would be worn by the bride, and it would be over the bride's head. As she's worn, drawn down the aisle by her father. And she'd be walked down the aisle with this over her head. She comes to her husband and what happens? He would lift the veil or the father would help. And he would hand her over to her, come on, her groom. Hand her over to her groom. And she would see him. As he is. It wouldn't be through a veil. It, should, it would be clear as it is. But the scripture says something else which is just as amazing. It says, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as reflected in a mirror... Are being, are being transformed in the same image. That doesn't have to be there in this, as reflected in a mirror. It's really got very little to do with, this, with that verse. It could read something like us, all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord are being transformed. But he doesn't say that. He said, as reflected in a mirror are being transformed. What happens when you look into a mirror? Who do you see? Who do you see when you look into a mirror? Come on, you can share. <laughs> yeah. Who do you see? You see yourself. And so he's saying when you will look into the mirror, when the bride comes along with the veil over her, the veil is lifted as reflected in a mirror, she sees herself reflected in the mirror. Otherwise, the mirror is superfluous here. It makes no sense if you, do, if you read it any other way. As reflected in the mirror are being transformed, listen to this, into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree. This comes from the Spirit of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I can have a party around that alone. As you look into the mirror, the veil is taken back so that you can see your groom. You look into the mirror. You see yourself, which be, starts to become transformed as you look into the mirror from degree to degree until you look like him. At some time, you don't look like yourself anymore. At some time, you don't see this, 
the wrinkles and the freckles and the stuff anymore. At some time when you look into the mirror, although your face is there, it's Jesus that you see. That could change us if we understand the depth of that. How God wants to so much for his image to be imprinted upon us and experience that freedom that he brings us as we grasp hold of that. When I look into a mirror, who do I see? You see, that's where the bondage comes. That's where the hold comes because when you often look, what do we look? What do we see? We see all the stuff. We see this. We don't wait long enough and meditate long enough over who we see. In, it's our groom. Who we see in the mirror, the reflection coming back constantly. We need to be vigilant about our freedom. We need to guard our freedom. Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom's sake. Stand firm then. Do not let someone else like Satan bring you back into a yoke of slavery. Bring us back into burden, captivity. Stand firm then. Do not let anyone steal the freedom from you and bring you back into a yoke of slavery. I, I don't know if it's happened with you like it has with me, but I sometimes I feel as if I grow from, from one outburst to another. You know, it's, it's, not as, it's not as if I wake up with Jesus and everything is hunky-dory and 20 years down the road, I see, my, I see Jesus in everything I do. It's just not like that. It's from revelation to revelation. It's from, it's from as he reveals himself to me more and more, as I look into him intently that I start to become like him. And it's almost as if something constantly is telling me, you've got to jump through the soup. You've got to do this. You've got to be like that. You've got to be different in order to be like him. And so I want to guard this freedom with an energy, with a passion, that he's encouraging me to, I feel. The specific purpose of the Lord interjecting our lives is for our freedom. Second is that we can be those who advance freedom. And we'll see a little bit about that now. Jesus calls 12 men, and he does something, he doesn't lead them into a, a theory-based expose of the Christian faith. He calls these 12 men and he leads them into, and you're going to help me preach here now, and he leads them into a practical demonstration of what freedom looks like. What did he do? Remembering that of the 12, none of them could read and write really. Remembering that they had to see the freedom to experience the freedom so that they could advance the freedom that God was calling them into. What was that freedom? What did Jesus show them? What did Jesus show them? Am I the only one that reads my Bible? Yeah. What did, what, what did Jesus show them? What, what brought freedom to the captives? He opened blind eyes. He, I mean, that's captivity for you. 
Will you be held captive by this darkness all day, every day? He walked on water. He fed the hungry miraculously. Didn't wait for a feeding program. Fed them miraculously. What else did he do to lead them into freedom? He brought them into relationship with God. Even They even climbed trees because of this unique freedom that Jesus was busy preaching. It wasn't about a political freedom. Some people thought it was. Some people thought you could enter into that freedom by, by other methods. And Jesus demonstrated that you couldn't. There's only one way to enter into this freedom. And it's through, through God and God alone. And so he demonstrated that to him. Where the religious came and, and tried to trap him. The only people that I can find that Jesus... Can I use the word hate? Because I don't think you can actually equate Jesus and hate. But the only people that Jesus was angry with, I mean, stop there, was angry with, was those who were trying to draw people back into captivity again, into a system and a way of doing stuff that was drawing them away from freedom. And he's commanded us, make, stand your God about your freedom. Stand your God about your freedom. It wasn't about a theory and knowing about Christianity. It wasn't about getting your BTH or your Doctor of Divinity or whatever it might be. It was about being able to bring people to that place of freedom. There's no qualification for that, but we'll go into that just now. He calls these guys to demonstrate the freedom. And you can just allow yourself, your memory, to just go a little bit and you'll see that every single encounter that Jesus had with somebody brought them into freedom. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from religious captivity. Freedom from a lostness of eternal damnation. Brought them into a place of freedom. There was, in fact, I don't think there was any other purpose of Jesus being alive at that time to not pronounce freedom for the captives. That's all he did. And when he died on the cross, he died for your and my ability to, ex to explain, to, to exhort the same freedom, to exercise the same freedom, not only for ourselves, but for others too. You see why I say it, it's, it's difficult for the religious mind to get past this. Because it means that if I'm experiencing that freedom, it means that there's something in me that God can use to bring freedom to others. And I may not keep it for myself. There's something in me. Because, and that is the purpose for him doing it. In Leviticus 20 verse 24, he said, but I say to you, you will possess their land. He's speaking to the Jews. I will give to you an inheritance. I love it when I find that word inheritance in the Bible because it tells me that something is rightfully mine. I'm, it's my inheritance. And I can just go to the, the rightful judge and say, it's my inheritance, please give it to me. A land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God and has set you apart from the nations. In other words, God is saying to us right from the book of Leviticus that I, you are not the same as they. You're different than they. You're different than those around you. The people around you will be saying this, they'll be doing that, but you are different than they. You've been called out 
as my people at this time. We set apart to reflect his image. We set apart for a unique calling that God has placed upon us. We set apart so that when we look into the mirror, we see Jesus. We set apart so that when we walk the streets, others see Jesus. Battle to get grasp that one, don't we? Don't we? We battle to grasp it. We battle to grasp it because Jill and I were walking in town a while ago after we planted um, the church previously and we walked into a shop and someone greeted us from behind the counter. Hello, Pastor. I didn't know you from a bar of soap, really. I just preached in a couple of public forum at that stage, but they obviously knew me. Hello, Pastor. Very friendly. We walked out of the shop and Joel says, oh, it's like living in a fishbowl. I said, let's just be good fishies. <laughs> let's, just, let's just, when people see these fishies, that they experience Jesus in some measure or another. Because that's how he's designed us to be. That's how he's made us to be. We've been set apart. We've been sanctified for a noble purpose. But 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your... Where does it take place? Yeah. There's an example that I've used on a couple of occasions. It's such an apt example that I love to use it. I was working on the mines in Kimberley, and one of the mines I was on, they were having problems with one of the guys who was working on the mines. So the mine captain saw the big chief and said, can I fire this guy? Um, I knew him very well. Maybe some of you also knew him, uh, Kidja Hartley. Said to him, can I fire him? So he said to this, this mine captain, he said, please send him to me before you fire him. Um, I'd, I'd just like to have a chat with him. So, so he went back to this guy and he said to him, the big boss wants to see you. You're in trouble. Because that's how we would kind of handle a situation like that. The big boss wants to see you. You're in trouble. So he makes an appointment to see the big boss and he's invited into the office now. It's one of those colonial offices with huge desk and plush carpets and everything. He invites this miner into his office. Now, you must understand miners, I don't know, their, their shoes are always dirty. Their clothes are always dirty. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it's not a, a refined to fit the environment, different environment. So he comes into the office and the, the big chief, the, the, in fact, his role, I think, is more senior than the mayor in Kimberley at that stage. He had guards at his gate, and, I mean, he had a very plush lifestyle, fancy lifestyle. A great guy. Um, and invites him in and says, have a cup of tea. Or what would you like, tea or coffee? So, oh, never been asked tea or coffee by the big boss before. So he'll have a cup of tea. So the organizers him a cup of tea, has the cup of tea brought, and what the mine captain did was he said, he doesn't do this, he's always late, he's insolent, he doesn't carry through on his duties, he gave him a whole list of reasons why he should be fired. Brings him into the office, and the big boss sits behind the desk, and he says to him, you know, Pete, I've been watching you for a year now. I think you are destined for the top. I think you, if you watch the way you live, he said, you could become one of the greatest leaders this country's, company has ever seen. I think you're an asset to this company, and I just have called you here today because I want to congratulate you. 
on being such an, a model employee. This guy gets up, shakes his hand, and obviously leaves the office a different man. Goes back to the mine. Mine captain, next time he sees the boss, mine captain says, what did you say to this guy? What happened? He said his life is different. He said he comes early, he's responsible, he leads a gang, he's taken responsibility. You see, Jesus doesn't watch how we perform. He mines out from the depths of our heart what he has invested in us, which is himself. And so he mines it out. And that's why it says in Scripture we must encourage one another daily. And that's the encouragement that Scripture speaks about. It's not the fluffy stuff. You've got a lovely hairstyle and you've got like your lipstick and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that doesn't mean much. I can see Jesus in you. That's the heart connection that Jesus wants to make with us. Because that's the investment that he has made of himself that he's died for so that he can come and live in us and function through us in a reliable way so that that connection becomes the one that we live. Do you understand what I'm saying? I thought you'd be excited if you did. (laughs) But God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were sinners... Jesus died. In fact, he's not looking for our goodness before he comes. We were sinners and Jesus died while we were sinners. He didn't come and say, if I die for you, will you give your life to me? He died as a demonstration on the cross while we were caught in our sin. Because he saw in us what we never saw. When he has us looking intently into the mirror and we see our own faces, we see all the spots and wrinkles and creases and everything that we spend thousands of, of a cream to try and get rid of them and get our complexion right and so on. Jesus just comes and he says, I see me. I see me. As we look into the mirror. What makes us set apart? It's our unique likeness to Jesus. If we look at the word image in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it's the word that you can ascribe to the word icon. In other words, when the world clicks on us, they find Jesus. When the world looks at us and they click on us, they find Jesus. They find Jesus. They find Jesus when they click on us. Little Christs. I told you it will be difficult to swallow told you it would be difficult to understand but that's exactly what he died for was for him to be so reflected through us we might feel we 1 John 4 17 says this by the way in this way John is speaking about love in this chapter in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment Confidence on the day of judgment, which is coming, obviously, because we warned about it. We like confidence. How many of us want confidence of the day of judgment? All of us. Because in this world, we are like him. Not good people. 
Jesus didn't come to make us good people. He came to save us and to make us like him. That's what it's all about. We look at ourselves and we see we're too old. We're too unworthy. We haven't done this. We haven't done that. We're too young. We're too uneducated. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read my Bible enough. I just remind myself about the fisherman when that happens. Too much of a sinner. I had too much to drink last night. I still smoke. And everything that the world would dish up at us would make us feel unworthy. And as long as it's doing that, we are unworthy. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, identified with us, and said, go for it, my son. You're going to reach the top. You're going to make it. While we were sinners, all we needed was the cross. That's all. Nothing more. Nothing more complicated than that. And I want us just to meditate on the scripture for a while, and maybe we can do it this week. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Qualification, full stop. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, verse 13. Do I know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do we know him? You see, it's as simple as that. Do we know him? And it's a heart issue. So all I need to do is, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died for me and have brought me into freedom. Thank you for the cross. Help me, Lord, to celebrate your life through me. In Jesus' name. It's as simple as that. You see, I want to get the confidence that when I'm walking down the street, and it's, it is my heart, I understand it. That's why I say it's going to be so difficult for the religious mindset. I want to get the picture in my mind that when I'm walking down the street and I see somebody sick, like we did this morning, and I lay my hands on them, it's Jesus. It's not me, as Brahm said. You see, but I need to get an understanding of who he is in me for me to do that. Otherwise, it becomes a, just an exercise. That freedom that he's brought us into is a freedom that he's paid for, that he wants to exercise that freedom over other people's lives through me. And so I want to spend a lot of time, not like you ladies do, in front of my mirror and look intently. And please do. I mean, some of you need it. Uh, <laughs> I 
and I'm in trouble. Sorry. <laughs> we look intently in the mirror. What do you see? What do we see? Look. Look. When you get up in the morning and you look into the mirror, look. Look into your eyes. Speak to them and tell them you're looking more and more like your groom. You're looking more and more <coughs> like him. Spend that time. Let the word of God reflect in your heart in such a way that it brings us to a place of freedom so that we can worship him in freedom. Why I like to remind myself about it often, please, and I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching with, with us all this morning. Because if the Son has set me free, I am free indeed. I am free indeed. No religious mindset's going to keep me captivity. And I hope the Lord will give me the boldness to step in the face of it and confront it in my life as I need to. No sin is going to hold me captive. Does it mean I just have got no sins? It means that what happens is I keep a very short account of it. When I look into the mirror, I can see the reflection of the face of my groom. And I keep a very short account so that I can see the freedom in his eyes and express that freedom over my life. And so I want to ask you this morning, maybe you'd like to close your mind, your eyes just for a, a, a private moment. If there's something that's worrying you when you look into that mirror, whether you look into it yesterday or today or, or any time you see the same thing, you know, it's like having a pimple on your face. When you look into the mirror, what do you see? You don't see the beautiful eyes. You don't see or you see the pimple. And the enemy has got us just trapped in on that pimple so effectively. So that when we look at, into that reflection, we see that pimple. I want to ask you this morning, won't you just take your eyes off that pimple? Whatever it might be. It might be your past, stuff that's happened to you in the past that you've never shared with anybody. So what? Share it with him. It's your groom. And look at the beautiful complexion. Look past that imperfection. And look into his eyes. My son, my daughter, I've set you free. All you need to do is to believe on me. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that freedom, Lord. Thank you for that freedom, Lord. Father, I want to pray that as we go from here this morning, there'll be many people who are free to lead others into freedom. Jesus' name. Thank you that healings flow out of that freedom. Thank you that salvation flows out of that freedom. Thank you that there's no guilt.
that the enemy plagues us with. But Father, we want to be convicted day by day of anything that hurts you and harms our relationship because we want to guard that image that we see in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.